How many can relate with that? I think the hardest thing we will ever face in our Christian walk is how do we grow in the Lord through the trials of our lives? And I, and I believe that God uses those trials in our lives to create maturity. And, and, and I, know, I know we live in a world where everything revolves around us, right? We, we, we live in a world where everything revolves around our happiness and, and, and our comfort. And we're, we, we're just, we live in a society in America where we are just catered to, aren't we? We, we just are. Can I get an amen? We, we are a bunch of spoiled brats. No, I'm just kidding. We just, we are. We live in a world where everything has to be done our way and everything's catered to us. And, 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 and I think that, that mentality, if we're not careful, can, can slip into our theology with God that, that God exists for me. That, that God exists to do my bidding and that God exists to make me happy. And, and I've shared this with you before, that, that the purpose of God working in your life is not necessarily to make you happy, but to make you holy. God wants you to mature in your life to the point where we can rely on the Lord in every circumstance and still find a joy, even though things may not necessarily work out the way that I want them to work out. And, and, and I, every single one of us in this room can relate with that video that not everything has turned out the way we thought it would turn out. But how do you know that even in the midst of those circumstances, we know that God used it to do something deeper in our lives? Can I get an amen? amen. Are, are you with me, Living Word, this morning? 830 crowd came through the snow. Hate Rochester in March. But anyways, you, listen, listen. This is where we need to get to the point of our walk in the Lord where we say, God... I need to allow you to do a deeper work. Change is the hardest thing for anyone to go through. And, and when we allow God to come in and change our hearts and our lives, sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes it's not going to be the way that we want it. But it doesn't make God any less than who He is. And it doesn't make God's love for you any less than it is. He is still there. And He wants us to get to the place in our lives where we can just rest in Him and trust Him and even face those trials with joy. So this is what we're going to get into the next couple of weeks. We're going to go through the book of James, and you better get ready to get your butts kicked, okay? Because we're going to do some butt kicking over the next eight weeks, okay? Six weeks. Because here's the reason why. We need to be challenged. We need God to do something new in our hearts and our lives at Living Word. We need God to do a change in our hearts. How many know... That it's so easy for our lives in the Lord to get stagnant. And that, and that we end up living our walk with the Lord very, very comfortable, don't we? we I, I, and I, let me speak to myself. It's this linear walk with God where I can do my Bible study, I read, I go to church, and, and, and I know how to formulate my walk with, the God, with God. And I can get in this stagnant routine with the Lord that, that I, I kind of manipulate God in my walk where I read my Bible and I know what to do, I know what to say, I do all the right things, but yet am I really listening to the voice of God? Am I really maturing? Listening, God just dropped this in my heart as I was working on the message. Listen, knowledge, right? The more I know about the Word of God, that just makes me smarter, but God says this, 
I don't want you just to be smarter. I want you to be mature. And only trials can make you mature. If you're taking notes, I don't get many of these too often. You need to write that down, okay? Listen, knowledge makes you smarter. Trials will make you become mature. And what God's desire for you is not that you're a smart Christian, that you have all these Bible verses memorized and you know the 66 books of the Bible in order. That's all fine and dandy, but that doesn't necessarily make you mature in the Lord. And God uses trials to make you mature. And that's what we're going to see in the book of James. As we go chapter by chapter through the book of James, we're going to see how God desires to make you mature. Not, not just mature, but authentic maturity. And, and what we're going to see in these first verses of the book of James is we're going to see that God uses trials to make us authentic and mature in His Son, Jesus Christ. Before we jump in that, let, let me just give you a little background of the book of James, because this is a really incredible book. Um, this book was written by Jesus' brother, James. And, and, and for me, this is, this is incredible, because how many of you, you have siblings, right? You have a sister or a brother. Can you imagine if you're, if, if, if you're growing up and your brother was Jesus? How well would that go over, right? Uh, so here we have James. He grew up with Jesus. The interesting thing is he was not a follower of, of Jesus while Jesus walked on the earth. He, and, and, and the reason why this is so important is because this gives us such credibility to the divinity of Christ and who he was. Because James knew Jesus. He grew up with him. If anyone wouldn't believe and Jesus as the Christ or the Son of God, it would be James. Am I right? So, so here's what's incredible. James became a follower of Christ after his resurrection. James became the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And tradition tells us that James died a martyr's death for Jesus Christ, his Savior. It's incredible. That if, if anything gives authenticity to the divinity of Christ, James would. Because why would James give his life for Jesus, the Son of God, if it weren't true? Pretty good stuff right there. So this book is, is written from James, the, the brother of Jesus. And, and what's interesting about James is that he was hated for his walk with Christ, for him following Christ. It, it, it's, it's even said through church tradition that the Pharisees, the religious ruling Jewish group in uh, Jerusalem at the time, hated James so much and they came against him because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. It is said that these same people beat James to death with clubs because of him following Jesus, his Lord and Savior. Jesus was his Savior. James gave his life for the cause of Christ. So the purpose of James writing this book is James writes to Jewish Christians who, who are living outside of Israel, and he writes to encourage them to grow up in their faith. That's the purpose. The problem that he addresses within his letter is their confession wasn't matching their lifestyle. Geez, that's never happened in our life before, right? Their confession 
following Jesus Christ wasn't equating to the way that they were living their life. And so he addresses this within the letter, and we're going to address these different issues as we go through these weeks. And we all battle with the same thing. And so practically, there's a, there's a practical reason for him writing this letter. We know the purpose is, is to these Jewish Christians. The problem is they weren't, they weren't living out what they were confessing. But practically, uh, he says, what does it look like? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Practically. And so the, the book of James is practically filled with all kinds of things that we can apply to our Christian life so that we know that we are correctly living out our faith and not just, it's just not a bunch of lip service, that we're actually authentic, that we're growing, that we believe uh, what we're saying and what we worship, that it translates into the way that we live our lives out each and every day in the mundaneness of our lives Monday through Saturday, right? So, so he says, this is how you practically live it out. So, so the first chapter we're going to see is, what does my faith look like when I go through trials? This is where it becomes real, because your faith is going to be tested whether you like it or not. And the testing of your faith reveals what you're truly trusting. Only trials can do this. So what does my faith look like when I deal with people I don't like, what does my faith look like? What does my faith look like in the area of my finances and my service to the Lord? So the question I, I want to unpack for us today is, what does authentic faith, faith look like when I'm faced with a trial? And, and what James is doing here in his letter, he's, he's encouraging his listeners, your faith has to grow. Stagnant faith will die. Your faith has to grow. And what God does to allow your faith to grow is he allows these trials to come so that your faith will grow. And our response to those trials is not one of, woe is me, why is this happening to me? But God says, I want your response to these trials to actually be one of joy, knowing that God is doing something deeper in your heart and desires for you to grow in your faith. Can I get an amen? Okay, so this is going to be fun, all right? So let's look at what he says here. James 1, you can follow along in your Bibles there. you got your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And let's see what it says here. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in dispersion, greetings. And here's, here's the title of this of this chapter, the testing of your faith. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So let's stop there and let, let's, let's dive into some things here. Um, how many of you 
are like me and you like when people are just authentic with you. How many are like me when people share their shortcomings? If you're like me, when someone shares their shortcomings and their struggles with me, I can relate to them so much easier than when someone shares all their victories with me. Right? How many of you are like me when you see somebody in front of you and they've got the sticker that my son or daughter is an honor roll student and you want to crash into the back of them? That's me, right? How many are like me, right? You, you know, you, listen... Or you get the Christmas letter, right? And it, and it shares all the wonderful things that their kids are doing. And I read it and I weep and I cry because that's not my family, right? So if I were to write that, I would say my kids barely passed this year. Um, you know, they're on a terrible football team this year. They only won one game. You know, I mean, that would be, it would be kind of wah, 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 right? So l- listen, wh- I love when people, because I can't relate to that. I, I can't one-up those people. I can't write back and say, oh, yeah, well, I got nothing. I got nothing for it. I, I can't do it. I, I tried, but I, I got nothing. I, I can't write a better Christmas letter, or I can't put a sticker on the back of my car. See, listen, the reason why we relate to people in their struggles is because they're authentic. They're real. That we all agree that we all struggle with our problems, Right? And when someone shares their problems and their struggles, we automatically resonate towards that because we realize we're all going through trials. We realize that we all have struggles. And if we're completely honest with each other, every single one of us have issues and problems and struggles that we have. That's what I love about this chapter. Because what James said is that he says when we face trials, that we're all going to face them. We're all going to face trials. We're all going to have issues in our lives. He goes, but when you face them, face them with Joy. So here's what I want to look at. In order to become authentic, we must be maturing in Christ. So maturity comes through growth. Our growth in Christ comes from an understanding of God's Word. It comes through reading and studying God's Word. It comes through listening, listening and sitting under biblical teaching. But that's only part of it. A life that is truly authentic in maturing must be willing to trust God in all situations. You see, the easy part for us is studying God's Word and sitting under biblical teaching. That's the easy part. The hard part is living it out. The hard part is living out what I believe. Do I really trust God in every situation? See, we may read it or we may have a devotion on it and it may may resound with us and we may get real excited about it, but what happens when it actually happens in my life? When I'm faced with that trial and I'm faced with my testing, the hard part is living it out. The hard part is living out what I believe. The hard part is trusting God when life doesn't make sense or go my way. So as I said before, knowledge will make you smart. But trials will make you mature. And God's purpose in your life is to make you mature. Not just to make you a smart Christian. He wants you to be a mature Christian. Not lacking Wisdom. How many of you know smart people that have no wisdom? Right? How many of you know smart people that can't tie their shoes? Right? So, listen, it's not about just being smart. It's not about what you know. It's about allowing these situations to grow and mature you as a believer. And this is what the first part of James is all about. This authentic maturity. How do we allow the trials to mature us and to live with authenticity 
And so here's a couple things that we need to know about trials. Here's, here's the pathway to maturity. If you want to mature in your life and you want the Lord to, to grow your faith, here's the pathway that James gives us for maturity. If you want to challenge yourself to grow and to keep growing in the Lord, here's, here's the pathway to maturity. First of all, James tells us that we need to know that trials will come. Trials will come. Listen, the worst thing you could ever tell yourself, the biggest lie you could ever tell yourself is that God's not going to allow me to go through trials because I'm a child and the king of the king and he won't let me. Whoever tells you that, just punch him in the throat, okay? Because that's not true. You're going to face trials. And so James tells us that we're going to face trials. So here's the thing. If, If James tells that trials will come, we need to look at trials a different way. Instead of seeing trials as a burden, see them as a pathway to authentic growth. Amen? So instead of seeing them as a burden, see them as a pathway to my maturity. At face value, this makes no sense because we can tend to see trials as a bad thing. God, this is what I asked for. This is interrupting my life and my plans. But the pathway to maturity comes through trials. And I want you to notice the words of James. He says, when you meet trials, when, not if, when you meet trials, the meaning there is they will come. Just because you're a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't mean you're not going to experience trouble. James says, expect them, but count them as joy. So the word trial there that James uses means any type of trouble. It can be things that we didn't deserve. It can be things beyond our control. It can be things because we're just human. Some trials come because we're followers of Jesus Christ. We can be persecuted because we follow Jesus Christ. Our, our beliefs are different from those that are in the world. We can be mocked and ridiculed for what we believe. So these are trials of any kind. They vary in all different shapes, forms, and sizes. But he says, know that they will come and God will use them for for his glory. So the pathway of maturity, the first part is knowing the trial. Just you'll be more prepared. Because when the trial does come, you're like, I knew this was coming, so I'm ready. Lord, use it to allow me to grow in you. And so know that they will come. The second step there for pathway to maturity that, that James allows us to understand so that our faith will grow and deepen is know that trials will ultimately work for your benefit. They'll ultimately work for your benefit. Trials will do something deeper in our lives. And James says it's that, it's that perseverance, it's that steadfastness that God wants to grow in your life, that your faith will be as solid as bedrock that nothing will move you, that this trial and this circumstance won't move you because you're, you're completely secure in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So know that this trial will often work for your benefit. This is a good thing, and, and, and it's a thing that we should look at with, with joy. Warren Worsby makes a great quote here in his book called Be Mature on the book of James. And I want to quote from him because he says this. He says, Our values determine our evaluations. Our values determine our evaluation. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material, 
and the physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. See, I like the words that he uses here because I think, I think it's, it's wonderful. He says, outlook determines our outlook. Our attitudes determine our actions. In Christ, I can choose to allow this trial to draw me deeper to Christ or to pull me further away from him. You see, it's all within my attitude. It's all in the way that I look at this trial. If, 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 if my character is revealed through this trial, then I'm trusting my comfort more than I am for Jesus Christ. And it's going to reveal what I'm truly trusting in my life. Am I truly trusting Christ or am I, or am I trusting my own circumstances? Am I trusting uh, my own comfort than I am Jesus Christ? See, in Christ, I have a different attitude. I can look at the trial knowing that Christ is working in me. I know that when I come out on the other side, I will be more mature and can praise God for his faithfulness. And see, that's what God is looking for. That even in the midst of that hardship, I can still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I can still say, God, you're good. And you're working on my behalf. You see, God understands this, James understands this, that only trials can do this. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl writes about his experience in a Nazi concentration camp. And and Frankl was a Jewish prisoner who was basically stripped of everything. He was stripped of his clothes, his pictures, his personal belongings. Um, uh, Basically, they just shred everything about your identity and you just become nothing. And that's basically what happened in this concentration camp. And his captors even took away his name and replaced it with the number 119,104. That's what he was known as. Not Viktor Frankl, but 119,104. And he writes about this in his reflections. And Frankl said this, he said, the one thing that the Nazis could never take away was this. He says, everything can be taken away from a man but one thing. Everything can be taken away from a man but one thing. The last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in in any given set of circumstances. Isn't that amazing? The one thing that they couldn't take away from him was one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. You see, here's, I think the biggest struggle in my life is my attitude. Is anybody like me? Just, just you and I talking this morning, right? It's our attitude. How many know that sometimes our attitudes can just stink up to high heaven, right? It's just, and we're in March and it's still snowing. And man, I'm t- I was talking to my wife the other day and, and uh, we're looking out the window and the snow's flying. I'm like, I just cannot, I get just depressed. I cannot stand Rochester in this time of the year. And Kathleen just goes, but you know what? Isn't the snow just pretty? Isn't it just nice to look at? I'm like, listen, Susie, sunshine, just zip it, okay? Just zip it. You know, and how many know that just a different attitude changes everything? Isn't that amazing? And, and that's the one thing that can't be taken away from us. We have a choice in Christ not to give into those things, but to make a choice to say, you know what? Instead of looking at this in a negative way, 
I'm going to look at it and count as joy because I know that God's ultimately working for my best for his glory. God is ultimately working for my best for his glory. I should see pens flying on paper right now. God, I'm just teasing. Listen, that's what's so hard now because once my attitude turns sour, right? Once my attitude turns sour, there's not a whole lot God can do with us. And there's a whole lot of grumpy Christians walking around with bad attitudes and sour attitudes that just mimics the world. That just mimics the world. And God says, that ought not be. Because if we're trusting Christ and our faith is in Him, then we're counting it as joy. That God is doing something deeper and that He actually cares enough about me that He wants my life to mature in Him. Amen? Here's the third pathway to maturity. The third pathway to maturity is knowing that trials reveal what I'm really trusting. This is the doozy one. This is where it all comes, all comes back around. Know that trials reveal what I'm truly, really, truly trusting. So, so, so here's, here's the big question. How can I know if I'm really growing unless I'm being tested? How can I mature unless I have resistance in my life? Trials allow something to happen in my life that otherwise wouldn't occur. Trials, listen, trials reveal something. It, 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 it helps us to, to reveal something in my heart that otherwise would never occur. If my life is always good and everything's going my way, it's not going to reveal what my true heart is, right? Only through resistance can we mature and grow stronger. I can remember when I was a swimmer and, and, and we were training, and, and swimming is just a grueling sport to train in. And, and it's, it takes a long time to get in shape, and it's your lungs. And uh, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of there's weight training. There's certain type of weight training that you have to do with it. And, um, and I can remember that um, we used to have to wear these resistance suits. And basically what they were is you, you'd have your regular swimsuit, but you'd have these suits that you'd put on with these huge pockets in them. And when you'd swim through the water, the pockets would fill with water and it would create this resistance. And it was like you are going through the water and you're dying trying to get through this water because you have this resistance suit on. And what it did was the resistance strengthened your muscle. And when you took that suit off, you felt like you could fly through the water. And what it was doing was the resistance was coming against your muscles to strengthen your swimming muscles to make you a better and stronger swimmer. Those of you that, that lift weights... Right? It's the same thing. What weight lifting is doing is you're breaking down your muscle. It, it's, it's, it's healing itself again, and it's making it stronger. The resistance against that muscle is actually making it stronger. Trials will come in your life as a type of resistance, but only to make you stronger. And if those things didn't come in your life, you would not become stronger. Amen? So it's a good thing. We don't like it. It's not fun. How many you like working out? Now, I jog about five, six times a week. I don't like it. It's not fun. Anybody tells you they're fun, slap them. Because it's not fun. It's just not fun. Especially when you're getting ready to turn 48 years old and your knees hurt and, you know, you're old like me. It's just not fun anymore. But you got to do it because, you know, because you're supposed to. I don't know why we do it. I, you're just supposed to, right? But listen, how many of you pray for patience? How many of you like me, you pray for patience? 
Do you know what you're really praying for? Is a trial to come into your life. So I'm just telling you, if you're like me and you pray for patience, realize what you're praying for is a trial. Because that's what, that's what James says. Because these trials will, will produce steadfastness in your life. See, when you pray for, for patience, you're actually praying for a trial to come to your life. I never realized when I prayed for children to come to my life, I was actually praying for patience. Lord, help me. I thought I was the most patient person in the whole world. When you open up the dictionary and patience, there was my face until after kids. Now I'm just the devil. I, I mean, it's just crazy. I just, I, it's a totally different. As they grow older, it's a little bit better. But um, yeah, when you pray for patience, you're praying for a trial to come. And that's what happens. That perseverance happens in your life. Patience is, is simply having the endurance to make it through. When your faith is tested, it's going to produce this endurance, James says, which will work towards your holiness. It's going to work towards you growing deeper and becoming more holy. So we actually become more like Jesus. Now, now I, I, I know we want to become more like Jesus without the hardships. You know, coming to church, reading my Bible with a cup of coffee, with no kids around, just serenity, watching the snowfall, right? Isn't that, isn't that the type of relationship we all want, right? Just serenity, and I just want my Bible study, and just have serenity, Lord, and listen to my Christian music all day, and just, that's, that's all I want. How many you know that never happens? That's just, if it does, can I move in with you with, in your house? It just doesn't happen. How many you know, it, it, those are far in, in between. Coming to church, reading my Bible, all the, the reason... James says to consider it joy when trials comes is because it's through trials you will become more like Jesus. And, 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 and what I love about uh, taking communion once a month as is, is we emphasize that it, is that when we look to the person of Christ and we look to what He's done for us, Jesus didn't bypass the trials in His life. In fact, Jesus faced them head on. And, and I love this passage in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, or chapter 12, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12, 2. And I want to read it for you because it's just a, it just shows you the heart of, of Jesus and what he did for us. And I just want us to prepare our hearts as we get ready to take communion. But I want to read to you here Hebrews 12 and look at verse 2. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, for the joy set before him, in fact, he faced the cross, the suffering, what does the Hebrew writer tell us? With joy. He faced that trial with joy. And I, I want you to realize what the, what the cross symbolized here. The cross symbolized the greatest of suffering, not only physical, but spiritual. Taking the sins of the world, enduring God's wrath, the shame, hanging naked for you and I, enduring its shame. He faced this with joy. It makes no sense. And in fact, you would say that's the biggest atrocity in the whole world. What injustice happened there? but not in God's eyes. The reason why Jesus could face that trial with joy 
is because Jesus knew the future it would bring us. And this is what strengthened him to endure. Jesus going through the trial and facing the cross head on knew the freedom that it would bring you and I. Jesus taking the weight of our sin upon himself and dying to it through his perfect death, through his perfect atonement, knew that it would bring freedom for you and I so he could face it with joy. You see, if we could just get this into our mindset, people, that the trial that I face, if I can just face it with that type of attitude with joy, knowing what God is doing and he's going to do a deeper work in my life, you will grow so much deeper in your maturity with Jesus Christ. God's ultimate goal for you is that you would be holy and mature. That's his desire for you. Not just to be happy. He wants you to be mature and holy in him. And he's going to allow those trials to come through. So here, here's, here's our response as we take communion together. Our response has to be this. It has to be, Lord, what thing in my life am I resisting you in? What thing in my life has created a really bad taste in my mouth and a wrong attitude for serving you that needs to change? And so this is what we're going to do before we take communion today, before we go to the Lord's table, and, and, and before we recognize and we honor Jesus through his death and resurrection and we, we, we understand what Christ did for us and the penalty that was paid for us. What I want us to do is I just want us to do just a little inspection on our hearts today. And, and if there's something in your life that you say, God, man, my attitude has just been bad here and I need an attitude adjustment and, 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 and I need to look at this in a different way and I'm not looking at it in the right way and I need you to change my heart like only you can, that I might wait in you and trust you and know that you're doing a deeper work and that we would just ask forgiveness before the Lord. You see, the, the Apostle Paul says, anytime we take communion, we're to examine our hearts. And so this is a good time to examine our hearts before we just fast forward and take communion and just let this be another day of communion. That really take this moment, make it a sacred moment in your life and just allow God to do some deeper work in your heart and say, God, if, there, if there's an attitude thing that needs to change in my heart or if I'm resisting this trial that I'm going through, God, change my heart here that I can see it through a new set of lenses with a new perspective that you're ultimately working for my good, for your glory. Amen? So let's pray and, and allow God to do that in your hearts. Just you, you, you and God, as you sit in your seats, it's between you and God, but, but allow the Lord to do that in your heart today. Lord, we, we come before you. None of us in this room is perfect. We've all made mistakes, God. Every single one of us have had bad attitudes in one area or another. We've, we've blown it with you, God. We admit it. And so, Jesus, we come before you and we just need you to correct us today if there's anything that needs to be corrected in our lives. That we realize that through these trials you're trying to do a deeper work in our hearts and that's what we desire today. Lord, the one thing that cannot be taken away from us when we are in Christ is the way we look at this trial. So Lord, I just pray today, no matter what it is, that you would change our hearts, that we would look at it through new lenses, that we would realize that you're trying to do a deeper work in our hearts and that we should count that as joy and not a negative thing. But we should count as joy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that. Lord, as we come before your table today, we recognize 
Jesus, what you did for us. You counted as joy to go to the cross for us. And we realize the bread that we eat today symbolizes your body that was completely given for us, that you're the bread of life. That the cup that we take today symbolizes the blood that was shed for us. And we understand that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. You did that with joy. Because you knew the freedom that it would bring us here today. So as we partake in communion, we remember the great sacrifice that you made for us. That Jesus, you and you alone are the only one that could ever provide for the forgiveness of our sin. There is no other way to God except through you. Because you were a perfect sacrifice. Because you were God. And so Lord, as we take it together as a church, I pray that you would unite us. That you would bind us together under the wonderful, precious blood of Jesus Christ. So we just give you the glory now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, I want to instruct you just before we take communion today. Listen, communion is open to everyone who's come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You're going to be a member of our church. By all means, partake with us. We're going to take communion at the end. So as the ushers serve you, just wait to the end. Worship with the worship team. And then we'll take communion at the end. So God bless you as we serve you today. Amen. Worship with us.
we ponder what you've done for us even in the song that we sang it's only through your sacrifice that we can ever find freedom for our sins and Jesus you did that willingly you submitted yourself to the will of the Father in order to to purchase my freedom that I could never purchase on my own we were dead in our transgressions we were dead in our sins and there's no way we could find life again There's no way we could find eternal life. We were headed to eternal damnation, but through Christ, He changed our path from a life that was headed to destruction to eternal life. And so for that, we're so grateful. And so as we sit this morning, we thank you for your body that was given for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you felt the nails being driven through your hands and feet, the crown that was made out of thorns that was thrust into your forehead. You felt all that. You suffered for us that we might find healing. And for that we're grateful. In Jesus' name. Let's partake of the bread together. And Lord, as we hold this cup, we know that this cup means forgiveness healing, cleansing from our sin. The only way God could be appeased was through a sacrifice. And Jesus, you became that perfect sacrifice. You took the wrath of God, all the anger towards my sin was placed upon Jesus on the, on the cross 2,000 years ago. And for that, we're grateful. So Lord, I pray for anyone that's here today that just feels like removed from God, that they feel like their sins are too great. Pray that they would realize that the cross and through the atonement of Jesus Christ, there's covering for everyone's sin. That we're all in the same boat. That we're all sinners that need to be saved by your grace. And we thank you that you forgive us and you heal us. That whoever comes to you will find forgiveness. For God so loved the world that he did give his one and only Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So we thank you for that promise, because that promise is for us here today. So thank you for your forgiveness through your precious blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's partake of the cup. Amen. Amen.
Listen, as I, um, as I let you go today, um, if there's any of you here today that just need prayer, our prayer partners are always up front. We pray with you whatever you're going through today. And um, count it joy. Count it joy. As you walk out the doors and you see the snow flying, say, Jesus, I just thank you. So I want you to walk to your cars with your hands in the air and just praise the Lord the whole way to your car. As you sweep the snow off your car, make it an act of praise unto the Lord. Amen? Amen. God's good. Go in God's grace today. God bless you guys. Have a good day. Love